All right, so what, uh, what chore occupies most of your time each week? So we're going to do a short one. What chore occupies most of your time? Dishes. Why? Why do you do dishes? Because you feed your family. Why not just reuse the dishes? Because that's gross. Okay. What else? Vacuuming dog hair. Why do it, Lisa? Because you can't stand it. Okay. Chasing kids around. Why do you do it? <laughs> okay. All, uh, all these things are important. Any other chores? Dishes, vacuuming dog hair. Yard work. What about the yard? Momo. Is that a riding? You have a riding lawnmower? Oh, I want a Momo too if it's a riding lawnmower. So I got to push. No. So anyway. Um, uh, so we'll, we'll get to kind of uh, the tie-in, the time for that. But, you know, we all have chores that we do, uh, things that we uh, have to maintain um, week to week. And so we'll even, uh, you kind of get that image when we uh, see how John uh, closes out the letter. And so um, we were, last week we did part five. We're finishing it today. I'm going to go fast or we're, I'm holding you along. So um, we're going we're gonna to complete the letter. And so John, again, gives us a picture um, of uh, what the future looks like. You know, the Lord gave him a vision to give us kind of just a small glimpse of the majesty that awaits us and uh, only provides us enough detail, right, to make us wonder. And we talked about some of those things. What are the questions we still have you know, and hopefully we do still have questions. Um, and what will life be like in the presence of our Creator? All right, that's that's the thing that has been missing. Is, you know that we are not in the presence of our Creator. We see the handiwork of our Creator. Um, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit indwells within us, but we are still in the created order that has been marred by sin. And so at one point we'll be in perfection with the one who made us, which is just kind of an amazing thought um, as we, we continue on. So last week we, got, uh, we just started some of these verses as we kind of are rounding out and finishing up the letter. And so if you need to you know, move around, if you need to get up and get more food, I'm fine with that. So don't feel like you know, I'm, I'm worried. Just don't knock over the podium. That's the only thing. Uh, <laughs> everything goes flying. So, um, so let's read. He said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers of the se- and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Okay, so last week we looked at verse 10, uh, verse 10, and looked at uh, Daniel's prophecy, and so a couple places where we looked at his prophecy, and we saw that the time was near for kind of this last phase in God's plan, right? So he told Daniel to seal up the words um, in, uh, because the time is not here. But then for John, 
right? It is, do not seal up this book for the time is at hand. And so the only way that we can kind of really interpret that, you know, and all these questions, and, I, and I've kind of mentioned this, like this imminency of Christ sometimes gives problems to um, to really all believers, you know, if we think like, well, what does that mean? And what does it mean about what, what he thought was going to be accomplished and what would happen? And so if we just think that even for John, like the time is near for these events, we have to think like, well, there's still yet events that have not occurred if we believe that some of them have occurred. And most of the things that I see in, in Revelation are in yet to be, yet to happen. But there are good brothers and sisters in Christ who, who don't believe that, but we still have to have that understanding of what, you know, how we understand this idea of imminent, imminency and the time is at hand. And so the time at hand really has to be this thought of the next plan in God, you know, the next phase in God's plan. And if we even look like, and we'll do kind of a recap just quickly at the end, it's kind of we swept through you know, the 50 chapters we looked at, it's all a part of like what God is doing and how is he's accomplishing his means. And so I could take too long to kind of elaborate on that. But that's what we're seeing here. So don't seal up the book because the next phase in God's plan, it may take 2,000 years. It may take 3,000 years. It may take longer. But the next thing that's going to happen is these events to happen and Christ come and set off the chain of the motion. So what is referred to in the Old Testament as the day of the Lord, right? That day of the Lord with all of the events that will happen, those are the things that are still yet to occur. And so that's how we, we look at So we see in verse 11, um, before we get to, to Daniel, verse 11, when we see, um, why do you think that's written for the evildoers to still do evil and the filthy to still be fel- filthy? Why does he say that? Shouldn't I, I kind of like left this hanging like last week. Shouldn't there really kind of this be this call to repentance? But why is it let the evildoer still do evil and the righteous still be righteous? I'll give you five seconds to answer that because, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> it's really, again, is this, this kind of this call to action. And Daniel, again, is kind of the, the key. I've kind of underlined some of these things that, you know, the, even the sealing of the book, but even this call where he says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the end of time. So we get that sealing, but the righteous kind of still be righteous. For the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. We'll see that in just a second. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. There is just a reality that when the day of judgment occurs... There will be two sides. There will be, again, uh, a separation of people. And it helps us to understand that, you know, 
why aren't people following after God? Why aren't people at church? Why aren't people studying, you know, God's word? Why aren't people more holy and righteous? And the reality is, is that there will be wicked. And he says, let them be wicked. Don't worry about them. Worry about yourselves. Because he will worry about them. It's, it's he who will be able to call. It doesn't mean that, when I say that, doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility as far as to share the gospel or to witness to others. But as far as, like, why are people acting that way? You know, we always have that as far as a question, like, why do people sin? Like, why do I look at, you know, politics and everyone seems corrupt and all these news headlines and all of that? It's just the fact that people are wicked. <laughs> and so he says, let the wicked still be wicked. And so that's kind of just where he's like getting our, our thoughts to, because then what does he talk about next? So when he gets to the next, who is going to judge? These passages that we see in scripture where, you know, when, when we do have this kind of call to like worry about your own holiness, or don't worry about somebody else, usually, right, um, don't judge others, because why? Yeah, well, lest you be judged, and whose responsibility is it for judgment? Yeah, and so that's just kind of the reminder here that we see. So who is the judge? The judge is the Alpha and the Omega. And so, uh, in a random conversation, my son and I were on a walk talking about something, and I said, he mentioned... Uh, something in the Greek alphabet, and I was like, "Well, I want you to, uh, I want you to learn the Greek alphabet." He was like, "Why?" <laughs> and I said, "I don't know. I was in a fraternity, and I had to do it, so I have it memorized." But <clears throat> we got to, we got to the alpha, we got to the omega, and he says, "So the omega is that like you're the, you're the worst, you know, like you're the end, you're the, the very last." And I was like, "Well, Jesus referred to himself as the alpha and the omega. If you are the first and you're the last, you are the all in all. Like you are everything from a." To Z. And so that's what, uh, that's what the, again, the reference that we've, we've seen for the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He has been there since the beginning. He has been there since the end. Who better to judge than Christ? And so when we think about judgment, leave it up to God. And so we have this very definite and finite aspect of who Christ is. Did you want to say something, John? Did I? Exactly. Yeah, and Paul says that, right, in 1 Corinthians where he talks about the fact that, like, we judge those within the church. Um, correct, correct, yeah. And have the mind of Christ, right, who, uh, who gave himself up for us. And so that's the idea and that's the picture. So, but again, as he's kind of rounding this out, as he's closing this letter, as we think, like, in the scope of all you just heard, I mean, again, think about like this letter, you're reading it just from beginning to end. And we didn't go through the whole letter, but, you know, even just the end, it's a lot to take in. And so it's just kind of like reframing, you know, one's mind in regards to what all this means. How should we act? It's almost like when Peter kind of like uh, preached that message on Pentecost and, and everyone was cut to the quick and they said, well, what do we need, need to do and be saved? Right? And he said, repent and be baptized. So just simply that, like, let me just reframe it for you because this is how I want you to take it in. So worry about your own holiness is really the idea and the message, what he's thinking about. So who are the blessed? Who are the blessed? Those who heed his word. 
Yeah. So those who heed his words. And so what does he say here in Revelation? Be ye holy for I am holy. <laughs> he just thrown out scripture. So. <laughs> Right, those are blessed are those who wash their robes. Uh, so when we look at that and that uh, that that seeing of of those who are washing their robes, it's again a, a reference to Daniel, those who purified themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But who is doing the washing here? Christ. What's that? Christ. Well, what does it say here? Yeah, so those people who are washing themselves. So, right, you know, but where does that fit in? Because, Tom, you're not, you're not incorrect in this understanding. Um, and so we'll, we'll talk about that in what we think about, how we think about that. But who's doing the washing is the people, right? And so why is that? So it's for us, uh, you know, who are saved and already washed to be obedient and wash ourselves. What's that washing process? Sanctification. So I asked you what chores you did every week, and except for Troy's, who's, who's, although there's probably a, something with that, right? A lot of the chores we do are kind of the physical things in the world, right? Of the, of the, the cleaning, you know, vacuuming and washing dishes and doing laundry and all of those things. Um, and so why, why do we have to do that week after week? Because Things get dirty. They get stained, you know? So it's the same picture for us, right? We are called to wash ourselves because why? Because we sin and we get dirty. Is it us who, you know, are we washing ourselves through our own merits, through our own strength? And the answer is, is no, right? The picture is um, even in Revelation chapter 7. I don't remember I have that verse up there. Uh, well, we'll get, we'll get to that in a second, is that we, we wash ourselves in, uh, to be able to be cleaned. He then has an image, um, you know, and then he even says those who are, wash themselves are those who get to the tree of life. Like, that's what they're offered and can enter into the city gates. The things that are promised, the things that await us, this paradise that is there for us, are for those who are, you know, continue into the end. So those who continually wash themselves. And so who's left outside? The dogs. The dogs. And so I tried, I knew we were eating, so I didn't get a bad dog picture. But, you know, but, you know, dogs are dogs. They get, they, they, they're messy. And some of you guys could probably have stories of dog messes that you don't want to even get into. Not, not in public amongst, you know, breakfast. So, but dogs are dogs. And if you ever travel somewhere where dogs aren't, you know, not that, I mean, I feel like everywhere now, like, dogs are more like pets. But if you, you go to areas where you see street dogs and things like that, right, a dog comes up to you, you usually, like, want to just kind of keep them away. And that's, like, how, how they were because they're dirty, right? And so that's how they were thought of back in, you know, John's time is that dogs were outside the gate. They were scavengers. They were, you know, not pets. They were dirty. They carried disease. And so there were different things that... Scripture associated with dogs in Deuteronomy 23.18 says, You shall not bring the, free, the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow. Both of these are an abomination to the Lord. So a prostitute and this wages of a dog, I guess kind of like the, the synonym for what that looks like. Um, 
The picture that uh, Jesus spoke of when he talked about, you know, in in Luke 16, he says, "At, uh, At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. That wasn't a, that wasn't a like, oh, they were comforting him. Although that's what kind of dogs do. It was like a picture like, you know, he, he was amongst the dogs. Like that, that's the picture that he's painted. And so the dogs, though, are, again, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters. So there's that kind of word picture and then the specific sins that he mentions. And he kind of summarizes them with everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And so we've talked about these kind of in, in different places, but we see, again, um, that's what, how, how we would uh, quantify or qualify those who um, get caught up in these sins. If you said, who are the people that seem to be furthest away from God? You list some of those sins, but they all have the affliction of loves and practices falsehood. They believe something about their life that isn't, Christ. And so there's a picture again, the, the contrast between those who wash themselves and those who like the sin that they're in. And so you've probably heard that that phrase, don't hate the sinner, but hate the sin. But you know, we all sin, we all get stains, we're all called to wash ourselves. And so those are the things that, you know, that uh, Jesus is telling John as we kind of finish up uh, you know, this letter. So he moves on. Oops. And he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So why did Jesus send the angel to show the visions? What does he say? What's that? Okay, and that's the, that's the result, right? But the, the near answer, right, is that so you to testify to you about these things for the churches, right? This is for his people is this message. So the church would know, and then by knowing about these things, draw closer to the Lord. And what does that mean to draw closer to the Lord? It means to come, right? He's here, hand offered, come to me. And so it's not just once that we see this. We see this multiple times. We'll get to that in just a second. And so he mentions that he is who he is, right? Um, the root and descendant of David. What does that indicate? Yeah. Not only all the judgments that were prophesied with, with uh, the coming of the day of the Lord, but all the blessings, and specifically coming with the Messiah, um, what that would look like, right? That rule, that judgment, that comfort, though, but, and that security, all of those things will come. Who says this? The one who has been given the authority, the one who was promised, I am the descendant of David, right? You thought that that line of David was cut off, Right? I am that one who picked it up. So God's promise was never unfulfilled. I am the fulfillment of what was said. It's all a part of God's plan. This is all a part of what he's doing and what he's trying to accomplish and what he's trying to fulfill. 
And so Isaiah 11.10 referred to the root of Jesse as descendant of David and that his heir would be the throne that God um, promised. We also have a description of the bright morning star. So uh, this, this bright morning star uh, in the sky. In 2 Peter 1.9 we see, And we have the prophetic word more fully conformed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from uh, someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This bright morning star is that the brightest star uh, when, the, when the dawn is rising. There's something just kind of interesting when you see like the moon, at, the moon in daytime. I don't know if you're always like fascinated. It's not like the... I've seen it a thousand times, you know, or however many times I've seen it. But it's always like, it's just weird to see the moon because the moon is normally at night. Sometimes in the morning when the sun is popping up and you can still see a star or two in the sky, um, it's, it's kind of that contrast of like the change from one uh, era to the next. And Christ is that bright morning star. And so earlier in Revelation, it was promised that the one who conquers is promised the morning star. And so Jesus here is confirmed to be that star. And so then we see this uh, idea in the picture of the spirit and the bride. Actually, we're... I I am one slide off, so sorry. I'm I'm kind of behind behind here. So I know. Or did I not have it? Did I skip? I don't know. Anyway. Oh yeah, no, we're here with a bright morning star. So the Spirit and the Bride say, come. So who are the Spirit and the Bride? The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And who's the Bride? So the church, right? In this picture, who is, who, do you guys remember at the beginning of Revelation 22, who the Bride was described as? Descending from, what's that? Yeah, the New Jerusalem. And so we would say those that inhabit the New Jerusalem. So all those who... Uh, have been saved, all those who are the people of God, who will dwell with God in eternity, that is the bride, right? So, but other pictures of the bride in the Old Testament was Israel. The bride is talked about as the church. Here in Revelation 22, the bride is all those who will dwell with God, incorporating all the saints throughout history who have uh, that. And so, what do they say? Come, right? So, (laughs) they say, come, join us, be with us, experience what we are um, going to experience. And so that is what, uh, you know, that what they offer. And so the one who hears, anyone who hears this message of salvation, this message that is promised to those who would wash their robes, those who would not be like dogs in the street who are, you know, chasing their own uh, false uh, idolatry, but those who would come to Christ, their Creator, their Lord, what do all those who hear that say? Come, right? So again, that same message, right? So we see this idea of repentance is indeed desired. This idea of you guys come, like join us. This is what we have. And so what is promised? So what is promised for those who come? 
without price. It's free water, right? <laughs> Everything comes with a cost, but this one has no price. It's an interesting kind of like, you know, uh, qualifier, right? And so some would say that that's kind of like looking back to that river in right through the city that we just read about. Um, Again, this idea of offering kind of refreshment, satisfaction. Jesus used that with the woman at the well. He tells that to some of the disciples where a lot of them lead, said, hey, I will give you uh, the water that you thirst for. I am that. And so we fill our needs with so many other false comforts. Our God and the Lamb, will all that be, will, that's all that we will need. That's all that we will need. So this idea of refreshment will come to those. But why also water? What's the two pictures that we've also seen? I had two pictures of them. So we're to wash ourselves, right? So there's this idea of, of taking the water in, right? But there's this water that's free to wash yourselves. There's this water of the dogs who are dirty, who are outside the city. Wash yourselves. And there's this picture that, again, has been seen in, in uh, other places in Scripture that that is what is offered, is this cleansing, but also satisfaction. And so finally, we read... In verse 18, I warn everyone, are we on verse 18? Okay, good. So, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. So, what is the warning that we see? It's kind of this final thing. Don't do what? Okay, so don't add to this. You know, if there's like, hey, I've got other revelation, I've got other things I'm going to add to what we've seen, right? It's explicitly said, there is nothing to add to it. There's definitely questions we have. There's definitely, you know, things that we like are curious about, the things that we want to know, but we just don't know. We can maybe infer, we can maybe hope, but other than what has been written, don't add to them. The other thing is don't take away, right? There are some hard truths in Scripture. And so don't take away from that. There's also some great blessings, right? And so sometimes people will use the hard truths or maybe the warnings or the wrath of God to say one thing and to kind of motivate people. But there's also, again, the blessings that are there as well. So don't take away from the things that are in this book. Yes, there will be judgment, but yes, there will also be this new Jerusalem, this hope, this city of uh, God that we will rest in, that we will serve in, that we will reign in. And all of these things are the picture that Jesus wants us to know. And so if we do that, we have added plagues or we will, so if we add things, worse things will be added to us. And if we take away, we'll be taken away from the tree of life and the holy city. Yeah. Like all of Scripture, I would say I would say yes. In the near context, it's the it's the Book of Revelation. But I would say as an expansion, 
Like, what, what would adding or taking away from other scripture, other prophecy? But that right there is speaking exclusively to the book of Revelation. Yeah, the, what he's talking about. So, um, for, for this. So, and so then what does Jesus say? Kind of gives that warning about this prophecy. I know I do have the whole book of scripture, so I guess maybe that's a little bit. But I think I would, I would say it applies. Um, but how does, uh, you know, what does Jesus say? I am coming soon, right? Come to me, but I am coming soon. So this is the idea of like draw closer to me, but at some point I am coming to you. When I am coming to you, right, all of this will start to take place. And, you know, the clock is now starting to, the stopwatch is already starting to, to go. We see the timer ticking down. And so these things will happen. And so how does John respond? Come now. Yeah. And I mentioned, I think I mentioned this last week that that was kind of a prayer. There's a, there's a book kind of of like um, church service that was called the Didache, which is like an early church manuscript um, about kind of like things that they did in, in, in their uh, church practices, and that was kind of the, one of the ones that they had like finished um, kind of a service with was "Come, Lord Jesus." It's that word Maranatha, if you've ever heard that. And so um, that's kind of the idea, right? I mean, if we said that, like "Come, Lord Jesus," like that probably answers uh, a lot of our anxiety <laughs> um, if we just kind of rested in that. So John responds like, "I am coming soon. Just come now, Lord. Just come now." Which is hard for a lot of us, right? Because we got plans, we got things that we're going to do, you know. But, you know, when, and we also know when the Lord comes, right? Then, then the day of the Lord is here. Yeah. Yeah. We have to be prepared. And it says right before that that we we don't shrink away at this reality. Some people when they're faced with this truth are hesitant. Well, I'm not ready. Yeah. Or I've got other things to accomplish. And that is, you know, really an indication that you may not be looking for the right things in this world. Yeah. You might be a friend of the world. You might hate yeah, I took a prayer class in, in seminary and, and it was, you know, looking at the Lord's Prayer. And so if you just even think, um, you know, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I remember like he spent the whole class on just those that that one, you know, phrase, are you ready for God's kingdom to come? Are you ready for God's will to be done? You know, we yearn for this, but we also know that those who are lost will be lost. They will be separated and judgment is there. And so it's sobering for us. We are to wash ourselves and cleanse ourselves, but we have this understanding of what that also means. So we desire for the Lord to come, but also with the repercussions. So live as if that day will be here. Also reassuring, because when 
people throw their hands up and say, I don't know what to do next. How, how are you going to handle this problem, today's problem? Yeah. How are you going to handle secular problems, let's say? Yeah. They say, I don't know what to do. <clears throat> it's not in your hands. It's going to be taken care of. Be reassured that all, all will be taken care of. And we complain by, about small things, right? Like uh, raising ga- gas prices or, That's you know, or, you know you, you or long lines at the grocery store. Yeah. You should have reassurance that this too will come to pass and those things that count will really be taken care of. So yeah. it's a reassuring book. Yeah, and that's how that's how he finishes it, right? You know, the the last verse, right? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Definitely a contrast, right? In his first letter, he gave a warning: uh, little children flee from idols. Like that's how he ended First John, and so it was like, okay, um, this one is the grace of the Lord be with everyone because he just kind of reminds you, you know, again, that's a blessing for for everyone, but it's just a reminder that all of this is grace, and so that is kind of the the one that he um, leaves us with. Even even the things that are happening happening um, is grace. The destructions will be grace. The um, blessings will be grace. And God desires only the best for each one of us. And ultimately, He is what is best for each one of us. And so I hope that we hear, you know, I hope that we thirst, and I hope that we come and be satisfied. So, kind of just to summarize this, what should we know about the end? Well, we can't change it, right? But knowing the end helps us more understand about how we fit in with God's story now and then where we see ourselves later. So even now, like there's a, like we might say, well, our time on earth is over at some point, but we have a future in eternity where we again continue part of God's story, even though we don't know exactly what it should look like. And it should draw us again closer to Him and trust in Him and joyfully obey Him. So He loves us, and we know because He sent His Son, and we know because of what He has promised us in the future. And because He loves us, we worship Him, and we give Him the glory that He deserves as our Creator, as our Savior, as our Father, and as our God. So that brings us to the close of Revelation. Do you guys have any questions about the end or things you want to say? Yes. Yeah.
Yeah. Well, I wanted to kind of turn our attention just slightly to uh, kind of where we had where we have been. If you're teaching on this in the future, we need these slides. That's Revelation 22, actually. Oh, did I? Yeah. Those are different. There's no 18 or 21. So I didn't hear the last five minutes of what you said. Yeah, my my editor was uh, was out for the week, so. Uh, I <laughs> appreciate it. Um, so kind of step back, you know, and say, like, what was the goal of the study? This is our, our 50th chapter, our kind of final one. And this is what I had said at the outset was really the goal of looking at these 50 chapters was to select the main points in God's story as it played out in history to help us as Christians love and serve God better. So uh, we had kind of gone through the first 25, you know, and if you kind of review and some of you would be like, we're here for that. Some of you were like, I just started on 50. So, uh, <laughs> um, but just even with this, uh, as we kind of like think how the Lord is just revealing himself and again, how we would understand um, who we are in light of God's word. And again, starting with Adam and then adding Eve and the fall of sin and then starting over with Noah and then starting over with Abraham and, you know, kind of like expanding that to nations, to one nation, uh, Israel, then expanding it, we'll eventually see to the church, but how they were to live and the laws that he gave and the commands that he gave and all of those things uh, were the first 25 chapters. So I did this in 35, 37 lessons was the first 25 chapters. And then I took some more time for the second why that goes like that, for kind of the second 50 on what we looked at, you know, so the plan now kind of with Jesus, um, and then I guess you could even say with Jesus, you know, uh, as our anticipation or our future. And so, again, uh, a lot of places that, I don't know, if I did 50 again, I'd probably have most of these chapters on here. Might take one away or add one to it, which is okay, because it's not Revelation. Um, But... uh, that's, uh, that's something that, that we have um, here. And so just some, just some stats. We started this on January 5th, 2020. I was like, we're going to do this in about a year. I was going to do 50 chapters in about 50 weeks. But, you know, that, that didn't quite happen. So uh, we went digital. You know, there were some things. May, you know, uh, so we had some Zoom classes. 
Might be a couple of you on here, a couple that, you know, were like, I remember that. It was just kind of, it was kind of a fun time because uh, we had like breakout rooms, you know, and then we met before they did the digital, you know, church service. So anyway, I know I was looking at, uh, then we restarted in November and then completed today. So it took three years and eight months, a little bit, a little bit longer, you know, some of that was, was some breaks. Uh, 50 chapters, I did a few recaps, a couple on the intertestamental period, we went the Old Testament, the New Testament, uh, 110 lessons is how, how long it took me, so I averaged almost two, two and a half to, uh, to kind of finish that out, so, but all in all, one amazing, one amazing group, 